This is one part of a three-part series with Dr. Amin Shivji. Dr. Shivji is the CEO of 123 Dentist. He was born in Africa and moved to Vancouver in 1973. After graduating from the University of British Columbia in 1989, Dr. Shivji began to grow what is now one of Canada's biggest corporate dental practices. 123 Dentist has roughly 450 practices across the country. If anyone knows how to manage a practice, it's this guy, as their clinics see annually more than a couple million patients across the country each year. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amin Shivji. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. Don't talk, just listen. Presented by Sage Dental Partners, your practice transition team. Intellectual, yet stimulating. Coming to you from Toronto. Podcasting to the world. This is Akil Chola. Partnership is very front of mind um, in terms of in terms of you guys partnering with the with the dentists themselves. So, what does it mean? This partnership. What does it mean for the day to day operations of the dentist when they when they partner with one two three? Does it mean that they can focus more on their clinical skills? Does it mean that they're working fewer hours? From your experience, what does that actually mean to them? You know, it's it's not uh, cookie cutter, so it's it's very unique per dentist. I think, you know, you're still in school, I believe, so you you have many classmates. By now, you know that they're all different. You have some that are very type A and controlling, and you got some guys that are or girls that are very easygoing, and you've got some people in the middle. So, you know, our goal is to take the burden off of them, and they have to decide what that is for them, right? You know. Everybody thinks, you know, corporate dentistry will take care of everything and you just come and do focus on dentistry. Well, yeah, we can do that, but that's not generally what every dentist wants. You know, we have dentists that say, I will always want to look after X, Y, and Z. It has nothing to do with dentistry. You know, um, we, we have a lot of type A personalities. It's dentistry, right? You want to control your environment. Uh, those are the kind of people that get into the industry. So, you know, generally, yes. You know, you'll see the marketing materials from DSOs or dental service organizations saying that, you know, you don't have to do anything but do dentistry. But the, real, the reality is it's up to you, the partner, to decide what you want to commit to or what you want to do. It's not up to us, but we can take care of literally everything. But there are some things that we have to take care of, right? Um, we are financed by banks and private equity. So when it comes to financial stuff, we have to take care of it. You can't have your own bank account. You can't have, you know, your own account with one of the suppliers. Those are all our accounts together. You can check all the invoices. You can check none of the invoices. You know, there's different parts of that, but there's some parts of the business that get basically uh, engulfed in our system, but that doesn't mean you don't have access to everything, right? And in general, most of the dentists after some time, and this is from, my partnership model after some time, the regional managers do 80% of the management of the clinic. Um, they still do around 20%. Um, and then that's comfortable for them. But I do have partners that do 80% of the management and the regional managers come in and say hi. So that's the variation, but we can basically help with recruiting. We help with payroll. 
We help with um, managing people just in general, just giving you guidance on how to manage. Um, and then also our goal is to help with skills, right? Make you a better dentist in the future, right? And, and through education. I think that's a, a building block that we continue to work on and build out. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's important as dentists that continue to learn. Um, there's a reason why we all have to have a certain amount of credits. Things are changing all the time. So it's very important to stay on top of things. Well, it sounds like the value proposition that one, two, three brings to the table is more of an a la carte versus force feeding. Is, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it, it, it really is. But there are some things like any business that, you know, because it's a larger entity, we, we will have our hands in more so than not. Um, you know, you cannot go and sign up for a different payroll system, for example. We, we have a payroll system we use. It may not be one that you like, but unfortunately, you know, our HR department picked the best system that they thought would work a la carte. We've always said to people that we want to be flexible and sustainable, right? We want to be flexible with our partners, but we want a business that's not going to go under. We want to make sure that it's going to live for a long, long time. My goal, you know, is to make sure that this model sticks around forever because this way dentists can always be owners. To me, as a dentist, it's been very good to me in the profession and I want to protect this profession. I don't want it to go, you know, into in just this corporate world that people are worried about. I think, you know, we're a good uh, middle of the road hybrid model. Um, I never would say, um, a, you know, a model like Dental Corp is, is not a good model. It works for some people. Um, and again, I still strongly believe dentists owning their own clinics and having a viable practice is a perfect model as well. Uh, I think every one of us can coexist. It just depends on where you want to be. So let's talk a little bit more about you and how you developed this, uh, this empire that's going to be soon of 450 practices, which is, I think, going to be rivaling dental corp in size. Um, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be neck and neck in numbers. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, it was by accident. Right. Um, I, when I graduated 93 from UBC, um, you know, a lot of people were like, you're going to have to go outside of the city to get a job. Um, you know, there isn't enough work. Fluorides risk reduced the cavities. <laughs> and, you know, I'm an immigrant. I came from Africa, East Africa. I, you know, I'm very close to my family and I, I just wasn't interested in traveling up north or far away from the city. So, you know, the best solution for me was to figure out how to make my own job and that was to buy a clinic. So, you know, the two partners I partner with, one is Dr. Mario Esposito and Dr. Leslie Wong. Uh, we bought a clinic before we graduated. You know, the closing happened after we graduated because we needed our license. But, you know, we had found a clinic. We bought it. It was a very unique clinic. Um, you know, in 1993, uh, the dentist we bought from, was, his name is Dr. Michael uh, Drance. Um, and he had TVs in the ceiling, which most people didn't. He, uh, he worked a really unique schedule, right? He started at four in the afternoon till 10 at night on Wednesday, same hours on Thursday. On Friday, he worked from eight to three. And on Saturday, he worked from eight to three. That's the hours of the office. Why is that? Um, he lived in Summerlin. So the office was located at 49th and Fraser Street in, in, in Vancouver. He lived in Summerlin, which is you know close to Kelowna, we'll say. He would take a flight in 
and come in on Wednesday in the morning or afternoon, work, and then go back to Summerland uh, Saturday after work. And it was perfect for him. It was only open like 28, 30 hours a week. But it was perfect for us. Um, the three of us only needed to work a day and a half. We were obviously pretty tired from dental school. And, you know, all three of us, fortunately, I still lived at home, right? Again, family values and, and tradition. Um, Mario still lived at home. Leslie was uh, married and was comfortable. We just didn't need a lot of money. We were comfortable. Uh, we had student loans. You know, we, were, we, we weren't in that debt that much. Like, you know, today's cost at UBC, I think, is $60,000 a year. You know, when I went to school, it was like seven, eight grand. So, oh, wow. yeah, I was, I was in debt, but I wasn't like heavily in debt. So, yeah, very fortunate. Started like that. Um, believe it or not, Michael Drantz decided to retire after six months because that's why he sold the practice. And he came back to, to town like 15, no, 10, 10, 12 years later, we opened another clinic, which I bought again, his other clinic as well. And that's kind of the mojo that I have. I, I try and maintain these relationships. You know, both sides have to have a win-win. And, and that's been how I partner with so many people. So the, the two of us, you know, the three of us, sorry, we, we partnered there. We bought five clinics. After that, I built clinics. So, you know, if we're to count backwards, I've, I've probably built 40 clinics over the last 30 years just by myself. This is not the corporate side, right? And I've partnered and I still have, I probably still have like 50 dentist partners on the old model. So the way the transaction worked when we got here was, I never told everybody we're just all going to become, you know, corporate. I said, look, this is another option. We're moving in this direction in these clinics. So um, the private equity guys always knew I was never going to point a gun at my partner's head. When they're ready, they will come this way or we'll sell the clinics privately. So over the years, about 30 clinics have moved over to the corporate side uh, on their own. Uh, nothing, no, no pressure for me. And we still have around 60 clinics in the corporate model, in the old legacy model, sorry. So those will transition over when they're ready. It's up to the partners. But that's how that business grew. And it grew through these relationships um, and partnerships. And, you know, like I said before, we I ran into Ali. Ali's like, you know, this model makes way more sense, the other stuff that I'm seeing out there. So, you know, we, we, we worked with these guys called Vibrant Equity. And, and we kind of launched, launched the initial base. We, we got to 70 dental clinics in the corporate side. Um, and then by fluke, uh, we ended up meeting Steve Froney and Mike Murray from Peloton. Now, they hadn't actually even formed their private equity group. Um, a good friend of mine, Hugh, who's a, who's a salesperson for Sinclair, was getting chemotherapy at... Um, at a clinic, uh, one of the, the, you know, the treatment centers. And Steve Froney's dad was also getting treatment at that same clinic. And Hugh said, you know, they started talking and, and Steve's uh, dad basically was like, yeah, my son's in private equity and looking to buy businesses. And Hugh said, well, you should talk to this. I mean, Shibji, he's got, he's got dental clinics and maybe there's something you guys can do together. And that's how that connection happened. Wow. So, Ali and I met uh, Steve and Mike Murray downtown in, in uh, Yale town. And, um, you know, they, they're like, well, we haven't quite formed our private equity group, 
but you know we could we could do this deal if we you know they had they had their main sponsor which is mr uh, stephen smith so i said okay and you know the reason we worked with them was was twofold one is they were super nice guys right we had met a bunch of other private equity groups and these guys were people that you know they're they're like your friends like you could work with them and you know obviously there's a business and we'd have to make sure the business runs but they are good people and and the other thing was both of them had left Ontario Teachers Pension Fund and Steve had actually worked on the file on Heartland Dental that Ontario Teachers Pension Fund worked at and I said okay this guy's got experience and and uh, you know it'd be good to work with these guys and that's how we ended up working with Peloton so in 2019, mid 2019, they came on board, and you know we we grew to about 140 clinics by because we had a fairly large pipeline. So we had 70. We got this money. We started by you know we already had clinics in the pipeline, and then you know obviously March 2020 the world ended. Right, um, we were at the PDC celebrating our brand new booth that we had just launched and. You know, within two weeks after that, everything was shut down. Um, and that was a stressful time. You know, we had just onboarded all these clinics that we had just bought. Um, as you can imagine, we had borrowed a lot of money. You know, we're growing. And all of a sudden, the taps, our, our cash flow was shut off, right? Wow. And, um, you know, the private equity group, uh, Peloton, ourselves, we all hunkered down and you know, one of the first things for me was, again, patient care, making sure the staff are looked after. So I'm pretty sure, uh, don't quote me, but unfortunately, I, I'm pretty sure that we were the first group uh, across Canada to shut our clinics down, right? As soon as I started seeing what was happening in BC, you know, we were at the super spreader PDC event, but I, you know, I just said, this guys, we got to shut them all down. I got complaints from partners, uh, Alberta people, they, they called me, they wanted to have a video conference call or a phone call at that time, nobody was using video conference. So called them up, they called me on, you know, we shut down on Sunday, all the clinics, Monday they were shut down. And on Wednesday, I was on a call with uh, some dentists from Alberta and they were shut down too. So they ended up all getting shut down, right? And uh, you know, we started trying to figure out what's going to happen. So what I did was I have a lot of friends in the industry. Um, and I had a lot of friends in Korea and Asia where you were visiting. And, and I just stayed on top of that. I kind of just kept on watching what was happening there because they had had the first wave. They, they'd already gone through it. And uh, my Korean friend said, look, dentistry is starting to reopen. Um, and they weren't seeing any big issues in, in, in terms of infections. They were all doing protocols that were different. You know, the rinses that everybody started doing. Um, they were using foggers uh, with hydrochloros and, you know, these fogging machines, but they were open. So I told our guys, I said, look, guys, it looks, it looks like we're going to be able to do dentistry. Um, we already had emergency clinics open to look after patients. So keeping an eye on the Korean market and, you know, Germany and, and other areas that were starting to reopen and our team put together a reopening plan, which we shared with the, the entire dental uh, community. We, we emailed it to anybody that wanted it. And um, we had secured PPE knowing that this, you know, we were going to reopen 
uh, obviously plexiglass became a, a huge commodity. We had secured plexiglass. I know it sounds crazy right now. Um, <laughs> so we had PPE, plexiglass. We opened our clinics as soon as we were allowed to. Um, we had all the equipment that all the clinics needed, um, face shields, the hydrochlorics, the fogging machines. We bought everything. Uh, you know, we didn't want to take any chances. But uh, fortunately, we, as soon as we opened, uh, until today, we've been following guidelines across the country. Um, you know, there's been a, a few sporadic infections in the dental offices, but most of them have come from uh, people from home, not, not from dental. You know, we, we bought all these HP, PEV, I think they're called from, from Dent Supply, high volume suctions for the, for the hygienist. You know, we spent a lot of money, but uh, it was necessary. It was to protect patients and protect our staff. Uh, signed contracts with linen companies because you couldn't find gowns, right? Um, so it was it was a very interesting time. But the good the good news is we're out of it. Uh, we survived as a as a as a company. You know, like sitting here today, you know, we we already had around two hundred and something clinics. So even though we were during this pandemic, we continued to grow and and create partnerships. And, um, you know, we kept on looking after patients and our staff. And this business has continued to grow mostly because of the team, right? I, I'm not one of those uh, super hands-on people. I, I work with good people. I make sure I surround myself with people that are wanting to, you know, make sure people are in good condition and the businesses will do well and, and give them the, the ability to maneuver and do things that they know that they're very good at. So... You know, we got here and that's how we built it. Right. Well, so I'll ask you another question on a more personal front. So, you know, sitting in front of you, I, I because we've met in the past, I know you're a practicing dentist. And, and as we kind of chat, I sort of have to remind myself that you are still a dentist. Where did you develop this great business acumen? You know, being an immigrant, um, my dad always owned small businesses, right? Um, you know, uh, children's wear, knickknacks, dollar store. And I used to, um, in the evenings, help out and work uh, at these, these uh, small stores. And I remember waiting for customers, right? You're, you're in this business where you're, you're selling something and you always got to wait for somebody to come in through the door. And I just found that to be irritating. <laughs> just like, this is crazy. Like I'm sitting here bored out of my mind and I got to wait for customers. Um, and that was kind of, I mean, I understood the business. I understood there was rent. I understood, you know, my cost of goods. I understood, you know, my dad had to pay me, had to, you know, do all these things. So I kind of got that basic business information growing up, sitting at the table. But, uh, you know, we weren't like super well off. We were comfortable. Uh, parents always made sure we got what we wanted or needed. Uh, you know, no fancy cars. We drove a from a Malibu, I think, uh, my dad had a Malibu. Um, and so some of this innate business information stuff just blossomed as I graduated and I saw that most guys knew even less than me. <laughs> and then once that ball starts rolling, you know, you quickly learn to read financial statements, you kind of figure out, you know, you have, you know, this, this areas where you can negotiate with vendors because, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but yeah, there's money sitting on the table. You have to negotiate, right? Um, and it was just, 
I, I would just say it's by fluke and, and the reading. Um, the, the, the problem always was, even when we had 60, 70 clinics in this partnership model, I was working as a dentist five days a week. I love doing dentistry. <laughs> and that was one of the big or the most difficult decisions when Ali said, let's, let's do something is like, well, then, then I can't keep working. Right. So, you know, I, I work three days every two weeks now, basically uh, in the clinic. I still uh, obviously manage clinics and keep my hours up, but, you know, I still enjoy it. Um, I've limited mostly to implants and surgery because it allows me to, to be away uh, away from the clinic because, you know, you can place implants or do surgery and, you know, you're basically removing sutures and you don't need to be there afterwards. Right. So um, it's, it's something I still love. Um, the business part is probably not my first love. It's, it's kind of just happened. Like I said, um, I, I still like doing dentistry. Like what you heard? Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and follow Drilling Millions on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube for exclusive clips. <laughs> <laughs>